0: This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another
1: episode of the TSN MMA Show interview edition. Some fantastic interviews to get to, and I I say that objectively. I think they are fantastic, and I really enjoy conducting them, and I hope that you enjoy listening to them. I do come from a place of bias, admittedly, but uh, thank you for tuning in, and I always appreciate you listening, and another thing I would really appreciate is if you go to wherever you get this particular program, whether it's iTunes Pitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Amazon Music Podcast, wherever you get it. If you can rate and review this show, it would really mean a lot to me. Give it a five-star rating. Give us a nice review. It helps the show out a lot. And hey, the show's ad-free. You get it every single week. I don't ask for anything else in return except for a nice review. That's all. Help old Aaron out. So uh, we've got some great interviews to get to, particularly this weekend's card, UFC 258. The welterweight title is on the line in a fantastic bout between two former teammates. Did you know that they were former teammates? Did, has anybody told you that? It was news to me. Who knew? Who knew? Really, it's the, the vehicle for which they're promoting this great fight. But uh, yes, two former teammates will be colliding. Kamaru Uzman, the champion of the welterweight division, taking on Gilbert Burns, who is undefeated since moving to welterweight. So a fantastic, fantastic fight. And they will both join us here on the TSN MMA Show interview edition. In the co event, Macy Barber. Returns after more than a one-year layoff, recovering from a torn ACL, taking on Alexa Grasso in a, a bout between two great prospects in the women's flyweight division. And Macy will join the show, as well as Kelvin Gastelum, who looks to snap a three-fight losing streak. I do not believe that's indicative of how good of a fighter he is. He's taking on Ian Heinrich this weekend, and I uh, got to chat with Mr. Gastelum as well. We will also be joined by the third member of the UFC roster that is going to be inside the cage for the main event. And... uh not really uh, on the roster in terms of being a fighter, but he is the voice of the Octagon, Bruce Buffer, celebrating his 25th year anniversary with the UFC. Not on a full-time basis, but the 25-year anniversary from his first time doing um, the ring announcing duties for the UFC. He joins us, and I don't know if you know this, but he actually brings a piece of Canadiana into the cage with him each and every time he announces an event. So you'll, you'll hear about that during that interview Great catching up with Bruce Buffer. It's actually my first time interviewing Bruce Buffer and getting to hear some of his great stories. Also joined by one of the top names of the regional scene in Canada. He is the BTC middleweight champion of the world and looking to add some more hardware to that trophy case. It's Aaron Jeffrey who will be competing for the CFFC middleweight championship in March against Colin Huckbody. Interesting story about Huckbody. He actually earned a contract on the Dana White Contender Series. Decided he wasn't ready for the big show yet opted to not sign with the UFC and continue to fight on the regional scene until he's ready to join the UFC roster. So uh, kudos to him for that. That's a very self-aware thing to do. And uh, we'll see if he's able to beat one of the top Canadian prospects in the world today in Aaron Jeffrey, Aaron will join us, as will another top Canadian middleweight previously ranked in the UFC. It's Elias Theodorou who will be making his return to the cage for the first time since December of 2019, when he beat Hernani Perpetuo, a former UFC fighter, and will take on another former UFC fighter in Matt Dwyer. That event will take place in March in Victoria, British Columbia, and he will tell us all about it, as well as the first time a mixed martial arts athlete, as far as I know, is actually going to have a TUE for cannabis use in competition. He's becoming a pioneer in the space for that reason. This was a big, big deal for him. He's been working towards it for four or five years, so kudos to him for finally getting that together, and he'll tell us all about it on the TSN MMA show interview edition, which begins now. With an interview featuring welterweight champion Kamaru Usman, followed by Gilbert Burns, Macy Barber, Calvin Gaslam, Bruce Buffer, Aaron Jeffrey, Elias Theodorou. here's the champ, Kamaru Usman. I'm now joined by the welterweight champion of the world, Kamaru Usman. Long time no speak, it's been uh, been a while. Uh, It's nice to see you again, you're on a moving escalator it appears? (laughs) Yeah, something cool, something new and cool that's moving. All right. Well, I like it. Uh, I was just watching Anatomy of the Fighter. Uh, Will Harris does a fantastic job of capturing the behind the scenes of the fighters. And uh, I watched uh, the first episode. Uh, You talked about having different demons going into each uh, fight camp of the last ones. There was Colby Covington who turned it into something of a race relations battle. Masvidal saying he was going to baptize you. And you said for this particular one against uh, Gilbert Burns that, you know, people that you thought were on your side seemingly weren't what what exactly went into that in, in terms of your decision to move to denver and um perhaps thinking that maybe you weren't welcome at uh, sanford mma anymore
2: well it, it's not necessarily that i wasn't welcomed it it's um i was there from the start from the start of all of that in, in, in florida and so um you know it it's it one of those things that it it you know i watched it grow i watched it turn into what it turned into obviously uh having played a role in that and then, of course, it, it got to the point where there were certain things that happened, which, you know, I don't care to talk, to, talk about right now. But, uh, yeah, it came to the point where I was, I was you know, already – I was already looking for uh, somewhere new that I, I felt like was going to suit me better at this stage in my career. And, you know, I, I started looking at coaches, and I looked at some, some amazing coaches that I really liked, that I bond with, that I think I would have been great for, like coaches like – uh, Rafael Cordero or, um, coaches like, uh, uh, Mark Henry. And, uh, you know, ultimately Trevor Whitman seemed to be that also Trevor Whitman. He seemed to be the one that, that had the, you know, just the time. And, and and I just fit well with him. I went there and I, and I fit well. And, um, yeah, it was time for me to make that move. And so, yeah, like you mentioned, like you touched on before it's, uh, you know, you uh, each fight and battling different demons and, uh, and this one obviously haven't been that. And that, that seems to be the theme of the story is, all oh, former teammates, this and that, leaving the team. Yeah, I, I was already, chances are that I was going to leave before. Uh, this fight even brought itself up. But, you know, it just so happened that this is the way that it played out.
1: So did you go from gym to gym to determine where you were going to go next? Did you meet with Cordero, meet with Mark Henry, et cetera?
2: No, it's not that I went from gym to gym because that's not what I do. You know, uh, I've been down in Florida my whole career, you know, but through that, if I'm if I'm at a fight, fight uh, you know, let's say I'm helping someone from the gym uh, and I go to a fight with them and, you know, my coach is not there yet and I need to get some work, which I always got work on the road. Yeah, I might, you know, I know all these coaches and I'm, I'm cool with them. I'm, I'm close with them. So it's like, hey, Mark, can we do some type of work? Can we get some work together? And, uh, you know, we'd get some rounds in, some work together. And, you know, you kind of really get a feel for how those coaches conduct themselves and how they, they run their styles. And, you know, that's kind of how I got to know a lot of the different coaches.
1: And we know that Florida has been a hotbed for, for training partners and whatnot, but I mean, Denver right now, if you look at what's going on there, you had Overeem in the main event this past week, San Hagen in the co-main uh, yourself in the main event, uh, Curtis blades coming up in the main event. It seems like there's no shortage of really good talent uh, in Denver. Was that part of the decision as well?
2: Yeah, there's definitely talent here. And that's uh, you know, big thing is, you know, the big driving force was Trevor Whitman and, um, of course, it doesn't hurt having Justin Gaethje there and Rose units to, to really watch and learn from. So, um, yeah, that, those were the biggest driving force. But team elevation, I mean, if you look at the team. Look at the guys. Look how, how they're doing right now. They, they put the work in, and, uh, and it shows. When I'm in that room, I feel it.
1: Was that a tough one for you to watch this past weekend, the co-main event? Corey Sanhagen, somebody you're working with right now, Frankie Edgar, I'm, I'm sure a dear friend of yours. You guys are both managed by Ali Abdelaziz, and I know you guys go way back.
2: Yeah, it was a very, very hard one to watch. Um, obviously, I, 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 it's, when you're at the top, you make all these friends that, are, you know, have a similar goal and similar drive. And all these guys happen to be at the top. So when that fight was announced, I did not like that fight because these are two of my guys that I get to actually watch go out there and, uh, um, and go to battle. And um, for that reason alone, I didn't like that because somebody has to lose. And I did not want to see that at all. And then, especially with the way that it played out and it went down, it was it was heartbreaking for me to watch that, you know. But Frankie's a champion. Frankie's a Hall of Famer. He's a legend in the sport, and you know, there's no shortage of respect that he's ever going to receive, win, lose, or draw.
1: Yeah, a lock for the Hall of Fame, no doubt. Um, when, when it comes to this previous camp, Eddie Alvarez came and uh, worked with you. Uh, how did that come about? It's
2: great. I've known Eddie for years, and um, you know, we, we used to train together down at the Black Zillions. And me and Eddie stayed friends. One of the one of the few guys in the sport that I'm very very close with, as alongside guys like Rashad Evans. Um, me and Eddie are very very close. We talk very often, you know, for advice, you know, anything like that. He's a guy that's been around. Me. He's done it all, literally. And um, what better man to look up to and uh, get advice from him on how to handle certain situations.
1: And finally, your daughter's in Florida. She lives there. Are, do you feel like the doors closed for you to return to Sanford MMA to train there? Would you be looking for other places to train in Florida when you're making your residence there?
2: Um, well, I've been kind of training. You know, when I'm there, I get to work. I, like that's the thing with me is uh, there's no shortage of the work. I will get work when, when wherever I'm at. Doesn't matter if I'm in in, in a place in Yemen. I'm gonna find some gym that, or somewhere to get some work in. And so that's, you know, there's definitely no shortage of that. But uh, you know, I never say never to anything. You know, um, as of right now, um, yeah, I, I made the move to, to you know, Onyx and Trevor Whitman, and uh, you know that wasn't just this fight, you know, it was last fight as well, and you know almost the fight before that. But you know, um, that's where I'm at right now. But I never say never to anything.
1: It's early in the year. How often are you planning on competing this year in 2021? Ideally, would you like to get three in, or are you thinking two?
2: Absolutely, I would love to get three in, but uh, I'm no spring chicken. You know, I put a lot of miles in my body and you know, how I prepare for these fights and how I prepare for wrestling matches back in the day. So I'm no spring chicken. and My body's the one that's going to determine that. But, of course, I would love to get three in. Three times, that means three times the money, you know.
1: <laughs> Simple math right there. Well, uh, thanks for this, uh, Kamaru. I appreciate it. Uh, you're facing Gilbert Burns' main event this weekend, UFC 258. Uh, really appreciate your time as always. Thank you, my man. I appreciate you. He's in the main event of UFC 258 Challenging for the welterweight title of the world against Kamaru Usman. It is Gilbert Burns. And Gilbert, we were just talking before, and you said this is really your first full camp uh, as a welterweight.
3: Yeah, I had one full camp, but it was against Damian Maia. It was in Brazil. I had to travel, get there a little early. But, yeah, this one is a, a real full, full camp. That I had eight weeks. I had a base before the camp. Yeah, now I'm feeling very good about this one.
1: So, how much better do you normally perform when you do have a full camp? Do you have results from the past where you know you you fight better with a full camp?
3: Yeah, all my lightweight performances, I, I I have to have a camp because because of the weight cut. But this time at welterweight, that I don't I don't need to worry so much about weight cut. It's all focused on my performance and the technique and the strategy, especially. Uh, Going against a guy that my whole team knows, so my coach knows who he is. My teammates know he's trained. So, yeah, that was a great to, to be ready with a good time. We don't need to worry about dieting. Just, you know, just training, get better, working a lot of situations. Oh, yeah, that was a great camp.
1: So how much do you weigh today versus what you would have weighed at lightweight uh, on, I guess, the second day of fight week?
3: Today I woke up 186.7. But I still eating when I, I check on the UFC, but I check still with, my, with, with the full clothes. It was 191, the way I check on the UFC, but I wake up 186.7, if I'm not wrong. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty easy. Wake up, 15 pounds, and it's still I still going to do a good session tonight. I hopefully, with the whole schedule, the schedule is full for this week. A lot of interviews, a lot of things, but I believe I can do two sessions tomorrow. And uh, the weight cut on Thursday, I believe I'm going to cut uh, between 12, I think 12 pounds, around 12 to 14 pounds. And that's great because I sweat a lot and I'm in great shape. I'm shredded. I'm feeling good. And uh, a lightweight, a couple of times I show up with 30 pounds over. How crazy was that? So now 12 to 14, is less than half, so... I'm pretty confident that I'm going to make weight and I'm going to be feeling good.
1: So you must, you weighed around what you weigh now when you were fighting at lightweight during fight week, <laughs> about 30 pounds. So that must have been a really stressful week for you, when you knowing you had to get down to 156.
3: Yeah, when I fought uh, Alex Oliveira in Brazil, I checked in the UFC on the weekend and I was 183, 184. And a uh, couple, couple of times I was lower, but I was lower like 177, 178. Yeah, a couple of times it was very hard. The one they they canceled when I was supposed to fight Olivier Bob Mercier in, back in Orlando two thousand and seventeen, I think. Yeah, I show up in one eighty five. But come on, a lot of double mistakes. Let not come back in there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Alex Oliveira. I was gonna ask you about that fight. Do you feel like that was the fight that really showed you you belonged in the UFC? You were a big favorite in that fight. He was a newcomer to the UFC, and he really gave you all that you could handle for the first two rounds. He might have won that fight if it went to the judges, but you were able to get that really late submission in that fight. Was that an important fight for you to show that you could power through some adversity and come back and win a fight like that?
3: Yeah, that fight was very definitely very important for me. Not only that fight. That fight was very important. The fight that I lost to Rashid Magomedov, the fight that I lost to Michelle Prezi and especially the one that I lost to Dan Hooker. I'm very grateful for these guys, you know, for the lesson that I learned. But that one Alex Oliveira was special because was in Rio, hometown, a lot of friends, family, everyone watching. And uh I overestimate the guy. You know, I I, I underestimate him on the beginning of the round. As soon as I first of all I have number seven back then, Josh Thompson as my opponent for my first co-main event, my third fight of my UFC career. And then Josh Thompson pulled out with like 20 days prior to the fight. And then they gave me a guy that was a huge 170. And then he fought like a couple months, a month before that at 170. Guy was very big. And then I first I thought that guy is not going to make weight. And when he made the weight, I said, okay, we are going to beat this guy. I mean, the guy next day, he was huge. And uh, I I underestimated him. As soon as I took him down, very easy, on the beginning of the round, I say, okay, he's a rap. I'm gonna smash this guy. He's easy. I start being cocky, and the guy just popped up. I lost position. Then he started, man, kind of jumping around, very awkward style, and hit me so hard, closing my right eye. And then I was just like, man, I'm in a fight right now. And then that was a lot of internal learning, you know. And then. Because in the second round, I hit that wall that I was like, man, fuck, I don't, I don't know if I can do that anymore. And uh, I was fighting with, with demons on me. I was fighting with with myself, like, man, I can do it. The other half, no, that's it, we done. There was a lot of learning on that fight. And then that was the fight, too, when it connected very good to Harry Hoof. Because back then, I have Vito Belfort in my corner, and I have my jiu jitsu coach, Rodrigo Cavaca, in my corner. But there wasn't the way we talk, it's kind of like I was a trail. I was a train on the trail. And then on the first round, I was out of the trail. And I was going and I was getting frustrated. I don't know what to do. And Henry was the guy that, hey, you want to lose? What are you doing? And then he made me woke up and got back to the strategy. He put me back on the trail. That was a good fight when it connects very good with Henry Hoof. And I learned so much with that fight. Not Never underestimate my opponent. And uh I was already thinking of the real war before the fight. So it was a it was a great, great lesson, most importantly, with the win, because the other three lessons that big lesson that I had was with the loss that Rashima Gomedov Michelle Presidious and Dan Hooker learned so much, but but just got one check in that fight cost me cost me a win, you know.
1: You mentioned Coach Hoof. He's not going to be in your corner for this fight, uh, from what I understand. He's kind of taken himself out of it, given his relationship with Kamaru. Who's going to be in your corner for this particular fight?
3: So I have my coach from Brazil, from Cerrado MMA, uh, Daniel Evangelista. He's also a uh, uh, Vicente Lucas corner. Vicente Lucas will be in my corner as well. Coach, my my wrestling coach, Coach Greg Jones, will be on my corner. And I have my jiu-jitsu coach Wagner on my coach, and also I have Logan Stolly here. They'll be warming up. Will be helping me here. So I have these four guys: Vicente Luca, Daniel Evangelista, Coach Greg Jones, and and uh, Wagner Rocha.
1: When you watch the promotion from this fight, it seems like it's all based around the fact that you guys are former teammates. Do you like that? Do you like seeing that, or does that you know kind of bother you?
3: Uh it is what it is. Now it doesn't bother me. I like I still got uh, good memories from a lot of good good moments with Kamaru. and uh, I still respect him a lot. I still, uh, you know, like the guy a lot. And uh, for me, it's just business right now. We uh, we're going to a fight. I'm gonna try to knock him out. I'm gonna try to submit him. He gonna try to do the same on me. Maybe not the same same. Maybe you know, control do more the way that he does. But I'm looking forward for a knock out a submission and and become a champion. That's my dream. That's what I earn, what I deserve, what I've been worked so hard for, and it doesn't bother me. Whatever they show, it's okay.
1: On UFC Countdown, you went fishing with your family, and you were talking to your son, and you said, uh, you know, who am I fighting next? He said, Kamaru. I said, You said, is he a bad guy or a good guy? He said, a good guy. You mentioned his daughter. What were you hoping uh, as a lesson to teach your son from that conversation? What are you hoping that he got from that?
3: Uh, he, he knows, he knows me very well. And, and the lesson that we got is the respect, you know, for, for, for the opponent. If you saw the, the, the embedded for today, he was wrestling with a little guy and those guys, is, bro. So the way they wrestle crazy scramble people miss, they didn't show so much on the, on the, the on the embedded, but they wrestle my little one. He, he, he's, he's so good. He, he scrambled crazy, crazy scramble. That's so funny. And, uh, Sometimes they have a little game. He's on the wrestling. And then he wants to, uh, like, celebrate or He over-celebrates it sometimes. And I talk to him, hey, you can't do that. He's your friend. You know, he's, he's not nice. You got to respect him. Go there, shake his hand. And we always kind of I'm, – I'm always praising the respect, you know. the, And I think that that's a lesson that they see, you know, because when I fight when, – when I go to the octagon and I'm fighting a guy, me – to in, in order to perform my best, I don't want to be angry. I want to be on a flow mode. I want to be on my zone. I want to be able to perform my best. It doesn't mean uh, I need to hate the guy. I need to be angry at the guy. And uh, most of the time it's like that. And I'm going to try to do the same. If I like the guy or if I, if I dislike the guy, the goal is the same. So I always praise the respect, you know, and then... For sure, I do a couple of trash talk here and there. I talk a little bit, but at the end of the day, everyone that step on the octagon gets my respect, and then that's one of what I want to show to my kids. You know, like, you know, Kamaru, he knows he's a nice guy, but we're going to go there, and then we're going to give my best in competition, best man is going to win, and we still, still going to respect each other.
1: Well, that's some some great advice and a great lesson. You're a champion in life, and we'll see if you can become a champion in the octagon this weekend, UFC 258, the main event, yourself, Kamaru Uzman, For all the marbles, welterweight title, appreciate your time.
3: For sure, Aaron. Have a good one, brother.
1: After more than a year away from the cage, Macy Barber is back in action in the co-main event of UFC 258. Uh, A great spot to be for your return fight. Are you happy that you're thrust right into the spotlight in the co-main event of a pay-per-view?
4: I am I'm super happy you know Uh, it's unfortunate that the fight that was supposed to happen with Chris Weidman um, got dropped but at the same time it's like like, if there's an opportunity I'm going to take it and I definitely want the co-main event spot because the next one is the main event so uh, yeah I'm very happy to be in the spot that I'm in.
1: Well it's not like you and Alexa fell backwards into this co-main event I mean this was the next best best fight on the card and I think everybody's uh, very excited for your return do you you like that there's going to be a lot of marketing thrown behind you for this?
4: Absolutely, I agree with you. Um, I feel like Alexa and I are both high-profile fighters. You know, we have big followings, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, I guess, uh, following behind both of us in the sense of fans. You know, it's not just, we're, we're both exciting fighters to watch, and uh, I believe that we're, we're both worthy of the spot that we're in.
1: I noticed you're an underdog for this fight, and I don't think that's an accurate indication of your skills. I think people are forgetting uh, it's been more than a year. People are forgetting how good you are. Do you agree?
4: I absolutely do agree. Um, this fight, I, I I kind of was shocked to see that I was an underdog, but at the same time I'm not because my last fight, I did come off an injury, and a lot of people are like, oh, well, one, an injury that, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how someone comes back from such a serious injury. Uh, two, is it's been a whole year since I fought, Um And three, I lost my last fight. So those three things, I guess, to a lot of people would look as, all right, we're going to, the odds are against her. Let's look at it as like, she's the underdog. Um, But to me, it's like, I had ACL tear and I had one of the best surgeons in the world. I had the best physical therapy in the world. Um, I've been training no matter what, you know, I got cleared to start training and I've been training ever since I got cleared. So um, I've essentially had a really long fight camp and My knee is 100%. I feel amazing. Uh, It's been one of the best camps of my life. I've got the best coaches in the world with me. Um, And I I don't feel like an underdog, but at the same time, it's like, if you want to put me as an underdog, that's just, uh, a lot of people are going to make a lot of money off of me when I win.
1: All right. Well, one thing a lot of people don't know, and correct me if I'm wrong, after your last fight, because you weren't able to get an MRI right away and you had to get surgery and whatnot, you went to Hawaii right after that. fight. what was that trip like?
4: Yeah, we did. Uh, We went to Hawaii. I think we flew out uh, like a couple days afterwards, and I couldn't have surgery right away. But at the same time, we had already booked a trip to Hawaii, and then my family was like, "Well, we're not going to go if you don't go." Um, And I didn't want them to not go to Hawaii because you know, it's a whole family trip. We don't get to do that very often. So I was like, "Let's go." And I felt good enough. You know, my brother pushed me in the wheelchair through the airport. We got to the airport. Then I was on crutches the whole the whole trip. Um, and anytime we went to the beach, uh, my brothers would carry me along the sand um, so that I could just kind of lay on the beach while everybody else was swimming. And then we, we had a good trip, and it was a lot of fun. And um, there was a lot of memories that we created together, and I'm very happy that I got to still go. But as soon as we got back, I had the MRI, and then we had surgery the next day. So it was a good mental mental preparation. Plus, um when you tear uh, a ligament or a tendon or anything and I, I think probably when you tear just about anything um there's a lot of inflammation and swelling so they actually can't get the images and the the stuff right away anyways so it's kind of like instead of going home and waiting on a bed and waiting in your living room it's let's go to the beach and sit on the sit in the sun and get a nice tan before we have to have surgery
1: yeah were you able to enjoy the trip i mean it was your first career loss you got injured in the process It must be hard to take your mind off of that, but were you able to for at least a little bit?
4: You know, to be honest, I was upset a little bit for a little while. Uh, But like I said, I've said this in many interviews before, I was 100% prepared. I was confident in myself winning the fight. Uh, Freak injury happened and I tore my leg. And I don't view that as a loss because as soon as I tore my leg, it was not like, oh, I'm out of this fight. I quit. You know, none of that ever crosses my mind. I am in there 100%, and I'm going to go after a finish no matter what. Um, but a fight's a fight, and I tore my leg, and I went the distance on a torn,
0: a torn leg.
4: So I was completely I, – I was still happy with my performance. And uh, the thing that was frustrating was even though I did suffer the loss, I, w- I wanted to be able to go back and take that fight and, and fight it back right away. Um, but knowing, and that was the thing that was hard for me to process was knowing that I was going to have to be out for a whole year and not be able to fix a loss or go out and, and have another win or perform, or even go in the gym and train. Um, that was kind of a daunting thing to me and that's what I kind of had to overcome. But at the same time, I was on a beach in Hawaii and it, there's, it's really hard to, to be mad at life when you're, you have such a great life and you have the opportunity to, to be on national television and then the next day be on a beach. Like I I can't complain.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's a good, good sense of perspective there. I think that might be a good remedy for people that, that suffer their first career loss. Go to Hawaii, sit on the beach, think about, put things into perspective. (laughs) It's a good way to, to frame those things.
4: Yeah. I feel like when you, when you really have to think about it, don't get me wrong. If, if, if losing is easy, then that's a problem. That's a really big problem to have. Losing is not supposed to be easy. You know, it, to me, it sucks. I hate losing. Um, but at the same time, there's, there's bigger things going on in this world. And if we put it in perspective, like it's, it's hard for me to sit and be upset about a loss, an injury, uh, you know, a a whole year that I'm not going to be able to train, um, the way I want to train or, or anything like that. When, like I said, uh, national television, I'm in a a big spot where people want to watch, people want to see, um, I've got family, I have a place to live, I've got food to eat, like, and I got to go to a beach. It's, it's really hard to to ever be upset and really mad at life when, when I have a good life.
1: Well, you know, the good thing about MMA uh, that contrasts it from boxing is, you know, a loss does not make a career. You know, it seems almost every top fighter has suffered a loss somewhere along the line. Um, what did you learn most from that? When you, when you take a step back now, it's been a, over a year, what, what's the biggest lesson you learned from that loss?
4: Uh, well, first to touch on touch on your uh, comment about loss and, and MMA fighters, uh, Dominic Cruz said it best. He said, "Loss is a part of life," um, and he said that if you don't have losses, you don't grow and you don't learn. So um, that that really stuck with me, especially in this whole recovery as well. You know, even even through my own loss, you know, it's losing is a part of life, and that's how you learn and how you grow because a lot of times when you're not you're not forced out of your comfort zone. You're not gonna be. You're never gonna know how much further you can go. So, uh, for me, I, it was it was a good lesson, and I took a lot of things away from from that fight.
1: You know, I do an angle. Sorry, annual... I think I no, avoided okay. your
4: question, and now I need to know what it was.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's just what, what what did you learn the most? But I, it seems I think you I think you hit it. I think you hit on it.
4: Yeah, I, I learned a ton. Um, a lot of mental things. You know, I talked about it yesterday when. Um, I was, in, I was talking to another interviewer and a loss, not not even a loss. I think that fight overall, you know, it, it taught me a lot of things. So mentally, um, I feel like every fighter feels it inside of them. They're like, no matter what, I know that I'm going to perform and I'm, I'm going to do everything I can and everything I need to do um, and that I'm not going to quit. And that's something that we know inside of us, but not everybody gets to see it. So I think that, um, the, the, that a lot of people learned something from me of, who I am and who I, that I'll continue to fight no matter what, you know, even through a uh, injury. Um, but for me, you know, the mentality, the, the lessons came from the patients, the, uh, the mental lessons that I got from the recovery.
1: I do an annual odds segment with Dana White where I, I look ahead to the year. You know, we haven't gotten around to it yet this year, but we did it uh, last year. And I said, do you think Macy Barber will fight for the title in 2020? And his answer was yes. I gave him odds on it. It was, I think, even even money odds. Um, obviously we saw what happened with the injury, you were unable to compete for the rest of the year, but how quickly do you want to get back into title contention? Uh, Obviously a co-main event here, big spotlight on the women's flyweight division, I can't remember the last time uh, a non-title women's, it might be the first time, a non-title women's uh, flyweight fight was the co-main event on a pay-per-view, or the main event on a pay-per-view, obviously this is a big opportunity for you, but how quickly do you realistically think you're going to be able to, to fight for that title?
4: Um, I actually remember you doing that interview with Dana, and I remember seeing that, and I even talked to him. I was like, I would like to fight for the title, and that was the plan. Uh, for me, I would see myself fighting, getting this win, um, and then fighting. I believe I said uh, I would like to have another fight. You know, I would like to fight the top five because, in reality, it's I'm number 10 right now. So if I fight and I get number eight, number seven, number whatever it is, um, but I would like to fight uh, Joanne Calderwood. Uh because I feel like that she's in the she's the next spot up and then it's like the next tier you know because she was she was getting ready for the title contention um and she was ready for that fight, so she's like kind of in between there uh and that's a win i think I, I i know I know I can get um but that's a win that I think would put me in the spot for um the title fight
1: Dana said you used to text all uh, text him all the time. Are you still texting him frequently?
4: I do I think I text him uh a couple of times at camp uh several times um one of the times he was like i texted him and he he said he lost his contacts and i was like it's the one that's gonna um win this fight beat up this girl then call out joanne call uh joanne Calderwood, beat her up and then take a title shot this year and he's like hi macy
5: <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah he knows so
4: yeah i still i still i still send him messages and you know i gotta I gotta tell them what I want, and I know that that's something that the UFC wants as well, so it works out for both of us to, for me to for me to continue to tell them my goals
1: all right well finally your your past fight uh your previous fight rather you were training in uh Milwaukee with uh, Rufus sport and uh, Ben Askren. now you're in Chicago. What made you decide to move there full time?
4: I decided to move to Chicago mainly because of the bodies uh like I said coming off an injury coming off of you know, that fight that was huge, this next fight, this fight against Alexa Grasso, um, even if it wasn't against Alexa Grasso, it, whoever it was against this this fight of me coming back is the biggest fight of my life, uh, and I wanted to be 100% par- prepared, and I felt like the training partners um, that I had at Rufus Sport, there was, there was good training partners, but at the same time, I needed great training partners, and I needed females, I needed people to grind with, I needed uh, the coaching I wanted to get more wrestling I want to get better striking so I decided to go with uh, Mike Valley who is from Valley Flow Striking um, and I've had a, a long time relationship with Izzy Martinez I met him when I was like 15 or 16 down in Albuquerque um, and I always, I've always trained around him and been with him uh, he's cornered me for some, uh, two of my fights now um, and so I know that you know those guys are going to have you prepared and I have great training partners Um, And I'm around a lot of people, and and it was just a grind, you know, this whole camp is just constantly, like, every single day I was working with great bodies, and and that's what I needed, you know, I need to be 110% prepared, and that's what I am, and so I'm, I'm ready.
1: Now I'm going somewhere with this, what's your favorite meal of the day?
4: Meal of the day, uh, okay, that's, yeah, I hope you are going somewhere with this, um... That's a hard one, cause like I'd I love to say I like breakfast food, but at the same time, most some most days I don't like to eat breakfast just because. Yeah.
1: Let's go with Ooh, breakfast. Not, do- the reason why I say that is I'll because go with I've been I've been to Chicago twice to cover uh, UFC events there, and I've my favorite breakfast okay. place in the world is in Chicago. It's called Dove's Luncheonette. So I just want you to write that one down. So when you're out of camp and you eat a little bit of greasy food, Dove's Luncheonette is the place to go in Chicago. They're not paying Dove? me for this. I just really enjoy the place.
4: <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. I will take note of that. You might have to send me a message and tell me when it's called again, but um, I can do
1: that. All right. I'll, I'll do that. I know you're in fight mode. I'll send you, uh, after you get this win this weekend, I'll write Dove's Lunch Net to you in a text. You'll know that it's me, uh, and then right, you maybe. can tell me how you, what you think of it. Uh, thanks for this, Macy. Best of I'll luck, coming in you. Event, yourself, Alexa Grasso, as you continue uh, towards that, that women's flyweight title. Uh, thanks for this. I appreciate it.
4: Thank you so much.
1: I'm joined by the number nine-ranked middleweight in the world, Kelvin Gastelum. I don't like that number nine beside your name. I feel like you're a top five guy in this division. You're just having a bit of a rough patch. Uh, what have you done to get over that? I mean, three losses in a row. Um, how have you worked on the mental aspect going into this fight to make sure it doesn't become four?
7: Yeah, I've definitely worked with um, Eric Fawell, who's helping me out with my mental aspect. Um... It's not necessarily a sports psychologist but he does work with pro athletes and he does work with the mind uh aspect of 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 the sports so he's definitely helped me out refine my thoughts refine my emotions just kind of figure it out what's what's really going on and uh it's helped me a lot i think in this camp and it's something that i'm going to be using probably for the rest of my career
1: was that the most disappointing fight you've ever had the previous one against from because you just looked like the disappointment was just palpable at the end of that fight You, you could tell that Something happened there that you weren't expecting
7: absolutely, yeah, um, probably not one of the most disappointing or maybe I don't know, I don't really like to dwell on my my losses so i I don't think about it on on it too much um, I just remember being so physically ready. Uh, But I I also maybe think my mental aspect wasn't as sharp as as I wanted it to be. And so uh, that's something that I worked on for this camp and something that uh, has worked uh, tremendously throughout this camp. So I'm excited uh, to to put to test on on Saturday.
1: What can you tell me about Ian? He's an up and coming fighter, of course, uh, a ranked fighter. Is this the kind of opponent that you feel like you need at this stage in your career?
7: Um, you know, what? at some point I was like, you know what, give me anybody, give me the number one guy, give me the number 50th guy. I don't, I don't care who I fight. I just want to fight. Um, and, uh, it's definitely a different, um, challenge. You know, I've learned that every fight is different. You know, usually I try to emulate the, you know, the same kind of strategies, the same kind of, uh, uh, training strategies is what I mean. Uh, but I can't do that, you know, and I realize every fight is different And so now I'm just working on being more present in the moment, more, more, more focused on my opponent rather than the variables that come with winning, you know, and thinking a little bit more ahead. Who have you been
1: training mostly with for this camp?
7: Um, you know what, I, I, I've i had a few uh, different training partners, you know, I mean, Marvin's up there, Danilo Marquez is up there, um, and a couple of the guys that are up and coming, young, young hungry fighters that are looking away, to, making their way to the UFC as well.
1: Well, those are two great names, Danilo, a big win this past weekend, and of course, Marvin is really working his way up to uh, the top of that middleweight division, so uh, definitely in good company. Uh, what, what do you think of Marvin and his, his last performance against uh, Jack Hermanson?
7: Yeah, I mean, we knew we knew he'd go out there and he'd he'd do a great job. You know, he's he's one of the most uh, ferocious and tenacious fighters we have in the gym, and uh, yeah, obviously a great training partner for me. And I think, uh, you know, he's he's going to be a problem for a lot of guys. He is a problem for a lot of guys, and uh, he could possibly be the next champion if you know if he does things well.
1: You just don't want to get on that guy's bad side. He's a very intense human being. That intensity must be good in the training room. <laughs> um sometimes <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like people are writing you off that they've forgotten about you and forgotten about how good you are i mean you've been at the top of the middleweight division for such a long time uh now like i mentioned rank number nine I-, I feel like people aren't giving you just due because like like i said i think you can hang with anybody in this division at any given time
7: yeah thank you um i don't know if people are writing me mm-hmm. off i feel like the people that know me know what i bring to the table and know uh know what I can do inside the Octagon, so, um, you know, it's just, it is what it is.
1: I heard you call Ian a young up-and-comer in an interview that you did. Uh, you're actually younger than he is, though, I believe. You're 29, you're just entering your prime, so I, st- I think we still have some great years of uh, Kelvin Gastelum ahead of us.
7: The best years
1: best years are still
7: ahead of me, I believe, and so, um, you know, I, I definitely feel like I'm hitting a different stride in my career, turning the corner in my career in a different phase, you know, where um, I feel like now I'm the guy being targeted, now I'm the guy being hunted uh, for my spot, you know, where where that hasn't been the case for the majority of my, my career. I've been that guy, trying to, trying to take people's spot, trying to trying to hunt people down, uh, but now I feel the tides have turned a little bit, you know, which is a little different, but um, I'm excited, I'm excited for the future, you know, the the future is bright, I believe.
1: Is the door closed on 170? Sorry? Is the door closed on you fighting a welterweight ever again?
7: Well, we'll see. I've been talking to my nutritionist and uh, I've been talking to my coaches, so we'll see after this fight uh, what happens. You know, right now I'm just focused on Ian and um, and, and just focused on him.
1: Uh, do you know Ian's backstory? Because it's quite uh, it's quite intense and quite uh, <laughs> quite interesting.
7: I know a little bit. Um, I know that he went to prison in uh, international. Some international prison for doing things you're not supposed to, and
1: uh, yeah, I know he's he's had a, a pretty rough pass. Yeah, yeah, it's a very interesting story. I think they're making it into a movie. He was uh, in Rikers Island, and and was being targeted by some inmates and got bailed out like right at the exact time before things got sticky so uh just well, just interesting to hear what he's over yeah his story if you if you want to read about your opponent he wrote something in the player's tribune about his entire backstory and it's it's just an unbelievable story uh, of perseverance if you're able to kind of detach him as your opponent from the man i, I think it's really a, a, an interesting read
7: for sure that'd, that'd be interesting to check out for sure
1: how have you been enjoying uh being in California during the pandemic? I know that uh, things are opening and closing and opening and closing, but um, have you been able to get in steady work?
7: Yeah, you know, I got a little home gym set up that I've been able to 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 get get to use quite a bit. And um, yeah, you know, to be honest, the, the pro team at Kings MMA never never stopped going to the gym. They should have shut down the gym uh, for for public classes and for the public but the pro team kept on training throughout the whole uh, pandemic um so really the the work didn't stop
1: was mike tyson in there at all during uh, during any of your training camps uh mike tyson had been in there just not when we were there oh so he had the gym to himself when he was there correct well, that would have been cool to have him there with you. I mean, that's a, it's hard to... Oh, my God, it would have been
7: so cool. It would have been so cool. But, uh, you know, it is what it
1: is. They want to, they, you know, they, I'm, I'm sure they don't want all that around them. Him versus Holyfield, is that what's next in your opinion? Do you think that's the uh, the next big trailer event? I believe so,
7: man. It's going to be amazing, and uh, I think it's going to happen for sure. I'm excited to do that. I'm excited to watch that.
1: Well, that's cool that Coach Cordero has uh, played such a role in that. Uh, I know that uh, my co-host, uh, Joe Valtellini, uh, from for the podcast, he's, he's hoping to get some work in with you uh, when, when the borders reopen, so hopefully you can, uh, you can come down to our neck of the woods.
7: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to come out there.
1: Well, there's a great El Salvadoran restaurant right near where, uh, where that gym is. I will, I will point you in that direction when you're in town. <laughs> hopefully it's sooner rather than later. But uh, let's look at uh, what's, what's right ahead of us. Ian Heinish this weekend. Uh, best of luck to you at UFC 258, and always appreciate your time. Thank you, Aaron. Good to see you, man. He is the veteran voice of the Octagon. You all recognize this man if you're a fan of the UFC. It's Bruce Buffer, And uh, you might not know this, but he actually brings a piece of Canadiana into the cage each time that he announces a fight. You you have a custom tailor from uh, King & Bay in Toronto. That's pretty cool uh, to know that there's a little piece of Canada with you in the cage.
0: Yeah, there's a big piece of Canada, actually. I mean, first off, it's one of my favorite countries. The fans, the UFC fans, the courtesy, everything. It's just amazing in Canada. um, I love Canada. Some of the greatest cities in the world, Montreal, uh, Toronto, you name it, Vancouver. But my tailors, uh, King & Bay, or at my King & Bay if you look them up on Instagram or on the internet on the web, they're amazing. And they've been my exclusive tailors now for three or four years. Every time you see me in a new outfit, of which um, you're going to see a number of them this year, it's all tailored, made specifically designed by by King and & Bay, and we're coming up with a very special thing, as a matter of fact. Um, we have They have a virtual style process where they can make you and deliver suits to you anywhere in Canada, anywhere in the United States, anywhere in the world, actually, and they're brilliant at it. I set a lot of UFC fighters up with them and friends up with them, and everybody's just so, so happy. So this year happens to be my 25th anniversary of being in the Octagon, which is February 16th. And um, usually I'm involved in the actual design or, you know, approving the designs made for me. But uh, Ashif at King and Bay, uh, my master tailor, he uh, is basically making me a jacket. They're making me an incredible jacket for the pay-per-view coming up this weekend. And it's going to be a special 25th anniversary jacket, which is going to blow me away. I saw the lining. I can't give anything away, but I'm very excited about it. And then they're going to do something really cool. They're going to launch, um, and pardon me for being so wordy, but they're going to launch the uh, 25th anniversary, Bruce Buffer 25th anniversary collection from and Bay. And what they're going to do is start off with a series of limited edition pocket squares. You know, the squares you hear, hear what people call handkerchiefs. And there's like five different pocket rounds that will be released throughout the year. Each will uh, feature four images of me in signature smoking jackets that I've worn at different UFC events. It's really artistically beautiful. And they're going to sell for $125, but we're going to donate 25% of the proceeds to a special um, charity for the research, cancer research, which I think is very, very important. We want to make sure that we give back. So I'm very excited about what King and & Bay and I are doing this year with the 25th anniversary.
1: And they actually designed custom smoking jackets, like a Bruce Buffer custom smoking jacket if you want to buy one from them.
0: Yeah, you can actually go to them. The designs they make for me are usually of raw jacquard silk. And they're lucky if they can find enough to make one or two. That's how, that's how specifically designed these jackets are. And I know they've auctioned off the second jacket in the past. But if you call them up and say, Buff sent you, I want to dress like Buff, and believe me, they'll accommodate you as much as they can. If you've got a design you saw that you like, just tell them about it. And they'll work with you on it as best they can. Most definitely.
1: Or if you want to dress like Cowboy Cerrone, I believe that they designed some of his suits uh, from when he fought Conor McGregor just last year.
0: Yeah, Cowboy Cerrone, uh, Wonder Boy. I know they're talking to uh, Michael Chandler. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. John Anik, the the uh, great commentator of the UFC, they make suits for him. Um, they're just, I can't say enough about them. It's one thing to get a great suit, but it's another thing to great, get the great customer service and the courtesy that they give forward. Even if it's just a virtual order where you're in a completely different country or a completely different area of Canada.
1: Now, I know you're fairly tunnel vision when it comes to these events. When you're in the cage, you're, you're not really hearing the, the crowd. You're more feeding off of them. But was there a difference when you were at uh, UFC 129 in the stadium, the, the, the first show ever in Ontario, uh, a full stadium show? I know that's where the, uh, the patented 360 happened. It might be the last time we ever see the 360 in the cage. But uh, was there a different uh, mood and environment for that particular card?
0: You know, each card and each city that the card is held in has its own specific flavor. Um, the one thing about Canadian fans is that if you have 10,000 fans, they sound like 40 or 50,000. I mean, they're, they get so excited. They love their UFC. So whenever we go to a, a city for the first time, we open it up, uh, whether it's a city in Canada or elsewhere. It's always a unique experience. And I look at every experience when I walk in the octagon. I always look at every night as my very first night. So actually, every experience has its own flavor and its own distinction to me. So I've done thousands of shows, <laughs> events, you know, fights, you name it. Um, it's very hard for me to particularly focus on one. But I do remember the great shows of Canada because, again, the fans are just – they're rabid, man. They love their UFC. It's, it's an incredible experience that I can't even relate to you in words, standing center octagon and getting hit by all this energy from the incredible fans in Canada. It's just wild. It's like a rush of sound coming at you, like boom, as I'm going boom.
1: Well, you say every 10,000 is about 40,000. And that, that one card at 129 had about 60,000, 70,000 people. So that's like a small city. It's like 250,000, the equivalent of 250,000 fans.
0: Yeah. Now, that was, okay, that was a Toronto Rogers Arena, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, Rogers Stadium.
0: Yeah, okay, That that's the night I actually moved and did a 360 move on the ground. But that was George St. Pierre versus Jake Shields, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, that was that's the one. Mm-hmm. That's the night I blew my ACL. That's the night that I blew my ACL in the octagon. I was announcing George St. Pierre. I had an ankle injury. Um, I rolled my ankle the previous Saturday. I couldn't even stand on my leg that Thursday. I managed to be able to stand and walk on Friday. When I got in the octagon that night, which was the biggest show in UFC history, sold out in like 20 minutes, you know, 55,000 tickets. It was crazy. Um, Some ridiculous sellout feature. And when I announced George, I went, George, rush. And George lunged out as he always lunges out, and I bunny hop back as I always do when George lunges out. But when I bunny hop back about a foot and a half, my bad ankle landed and it wobbled, and my whole knee exploded. I severed my ACL completely. Uh, on the announcements, it was like George Rush Saint Pierre, he was the loudest was <laughs> painful Pierre. I couldn't forgive him. And um, luckily, I didn't fall. Uh, which was good, but you see me hop out on one leg, and John McCarthy, the referee, big John McCarthy, said, Buff, I just think you blew your ACL and stitched your hands, putting an ice bag on my knee with my pant leg rolled up, and I'm like, what's wrong with this picture? These two great warriors are fighting in the octagon for five rounds, and I'm sitting here with a blown ACL. But the show must go on. I got back in. I announced it, and uh rest is history.
1: And from what I understand, evidently, uh, George wasn't satisfied with just one torn ACL in the cage. He tore his in training a month or two later and you guys did rehab together and had the same surgeon from what I, from what I recall.
0: Done great research, my friend. Yes, that's absolutely true. George blew his knee like about three months later. I didn't get operated on until three months later when I had an opening. I just basically held a brace. I had to make a movie. I had shows every week. And I wanted to train my legs to get really, really strong for the operation, uh, stronger than they already are. And um Lo and behold, I get into rehab, and who else is in rehab with me? But George, and we both got operated on by the same doctor, you know, and it just it's funny. I blow my knee announcing him. He blows his knee in training. We both get operated on the same doctor, and we both wind up in the same rehab together. Go figure.
1: (laughs) That's pretty incredible. Uh, So you've been, uh, we mentioned the suits, and you've you've got a lot of other businesses going on. Uh, I see behind you, you have your new bourbon, Puncher's Chance. And uh, I read in a press release that uh, you're expected to sell 25,000 cases. And you actually told me that now you're trending towards 35,000 cases in a year. Uh, That's that's a pretty impressive number. Um, And I know that you're starting to make the bourbon more available
0: throughout the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Puncher's Chance, the, the thing I love about Puncher's Chance is the fact that This is what my life's all about. I've been an underdog my entire life. And people say, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. Well, I did. I got it done. I did it. I went after it. That's what life takes. You know, setting your goals, going after it. One punch can change your life. This is all about, you know, having that puncher's chance, which relates to fighting, it relates to life and everything. But this is a $60 American bourbon that we sell for $30 in the States because the quality is so high. And we just got a 9.5 taste rating by the tasting board, which this is the highest rate of bourbon at its price point in America. And it's selling like hotcakes. We sold 10,000 cases in the first three months since we opened. And now we're in about 16 states. We'll be in all 50 states by June. And our target was 25. It looks like 35,000 or more cases will move this year. And We have a half million cases uh, available. We're going to move a half million over the next five years is our goal. So it's growing fast. It's breaking records. But the important thing is the bottling's Perfect. And the taste is amazing. So if you're a bourbon drinker, this is the bourbon to get. And we will be in Canada, hopefully, uh, towards the end of this year. I'm going to work on that. But right now we're concentrating on the United States. And then in a month, um, I always like to kid, you know, you can drink like Buff and now you can smell like Buff. <laughs> it's a joke. But I'm coming out with my own It's Time cologne and uh, toiletry set, body wash, face wash, everything, which will be sold all over the world internationally. You'll see the Cologne and Airports. It's uh, going to be all over Europe. It'll be in Canada, everywhere. Just follow me on Instagram, at UFC and you'll be able to get this. And then I have another huge announcement that I'll make in about another month. I don't announce anything <laughs> until it's ready to go. <laughs> all right. I want to
1: touch on one more income stream. Cameo. You famously broke up with somebody via Cameo. I love this video. It's time for Kaylee to move on. How did that come about? Yeah.
0: Okay, well, that wasn't me breaking up with her. What happened was, (laughs) first off, for anybody, I I do a lot of cameos. I do a ton, and I really like Cameo. You can order other videos and audios through my website, BruceBuffer.com, for birth of babies and businesses and everything else, weddings, you name it, I do it. But I got an order through Cameo, and when I read it, it was like time to move on, and I'm thinking – okay maybe she's moving on to a new job maybe she's moving on to a new house maybe getting a new car it did occur maybe this much that it could be a breakup and i thought who the heck would break up with a girl on video right i just i mean that's kind of like cowardly in a certain way so i did the video i sent it out and lo and behold it was he sent it to her to break up and it went viral it's not something i did on purpose i if you want me to a recording like that in the future don't even try to order it I'm not doing breakup videos and I even made an invitation to Kaylee I'll be happy to do a video for her anytime she wants or you know make a donation to her charity but um no I didn't mean to do that it just it just went viral and people got it strangely enough people got a big kick out of it it made uh, the UK Sun it made the New York Times it made TMZ but it wasn't on purpose that that was done but I do enjoy doing cameos I do a ton of them so it's a lot of fun.
1: All right, so from background, you didn't know that that was a breakup video, So, and you probably wouldn't have done it had you known <laughs> because, you know, obviously that it's not the most been. gentlemanly thing to do. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting because that is- I thought that maybe, you know, you get a request and you just do it.
0: Uh, no, I, I I really go through these things with a fine-tooth comb because I've had a couple of strange requests that I will not do, and I want it all to be classy. But, no, that just that slipped through. Sorry to say it slipped through. But you know what? So through the beginning of uh, or November or December and – the world's funny. I did about three times as many cameos that month, which, because of all the publicity that came in from that one, go figure. But I donate partial proceeds to animal military and children charities, so I try to get back and pay it forward wherever I can.
1: Any chance you would disclose any of the weird ones that you've turned down?
0: Uh, You know, they involve curse words, or maybe it was uh, insulting to the person that was being made for, her, and that's not, what I, that's not who I am. I don't do that, so. Keep it classy.
1: All right, I like that. Uh, yeah. I want to ask you some, some, uh, about some stories you might not have told in the past. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you almost didn't make it to an event on time?
0: Uh, no, I uh, made it except one time I was in New Jersey. I was doing a show uh, in Jersey and I had to be in Belo Horizonte, Brazil 18 hours later uh, in the Octagon, which was impossible flying commercial So at that time, I was doing every show, another backup announcer that I have now for six or seven shows a year. Um, And Dana White, we just put the bags to the arena, and I hopped on Dana's private jet. Dana flew me down, and 16, 18 hours later, I'm in Belo Horizonte, Brazil, showering, getting in a new tuxedo, and in the octagon for the second show in a 24-hour period. So it was kind of my rock star moment. I didn't miss the show, but I had that rock star moment of two shows and two hemispheres, and two different time zones in less than 24 hours, which is pretty cool.
1: Now, I know you're pretty laid back, but have you ever made an error in the cage that you've beaten yourself up over for maybe a week or two after the fact?
0: Well, not a week or two, but a minute or two. I'm my own worst critic, you know, and uh, I can say less than 10 times that's happened. Um, and, you know, it's a type of thing that you have to roll over. you got to roll with it. One time I'm staring at uh, Mario Yamasaki, the uh, referee. And I don't know why it happened, but then I'm looking at him. I go, and your referee in charge of the octagon is Herb Dean. As I'm saying it, it's like Herb Dean, it's just coming out and I'm realizing, what am I doing? You know, that was one of my little faux pas. And I think there was one time in New York, it was about four years ago that I was busy working on the next fight. And the fight ended really quickly between two men that had red beards and red hair. And, and I went in and I, Accidentally announced the wrong winner, which I corrected during my announcement. Got a nice laugh from 20,000 people. But hey, you know what? If you can't laugh at yourself and you can't be a little self deprecating at times, uh, then, you know, ease up a little bit. You got to ease up and enjoy life. So roll with the punches and take your puncher's <laughs> chance.
1: <laughs> well, like you said, you've, you've made so few errors over the years that uh, you've, of course, become the gold standard of, of announcers. Uh, the, the trademark, It's Time. I love it because it's just so to the point. And so, I mean, that's, you know, when, you, when it's the main event, it, it is time. And while the UFC does have, uh, not, unlike boxing, people show up from the first fight to the last fight. Um, I remember when I went to uh, McGregor Mayweather, I was amazed at how few people were in the arena until, like, the co-main event. But in the UFC, people, yeah. people are there from the beginning of the, until the very end. But uh, because of their patience, you reward it with the, uh, the it's time. And, uh, again, from what I understand, this is something that you have said for years before you even became an announcer, in the morning when you wake up.
0: Exactly, exactly, and again, great research. Um, yeah, I, every time, every morning when I shave, because I've always been an entrepreneur, I've always been out to be the best I can be, I, I don't live on my laurels, when I wake up in the morning it's all about proving to myself that, uh, just like when I walk in the octagon for the first time, every time, every, like this Saturday night at the pay-per-view coming, that to me is my first night, and I gotta walk in there and do the best job I can, prove to the powers that be, Dana, the fans, yourself, and especially the fighters, that I deserve this position, I deserve to be the voice of the octagon. When I wake up, before I ever became the UFC announcer, I would just say it's time to prove myself to be the best I can be. I'm an am an overachiever. I I set my goals, I go for them, and um, I have to. I'm very self-motivating. I motivate myself to get the job done. You know, and that was it. I just say, hey, it's time. You know, to have the best day we can. And then I would open up the show for years, saying, you know, it's time to begin the ultimate fighting championship. And Dave and I had a talk and. We agreed I wouldn't do that anymore, and I've never been phrase driven. Okay, it's everybody wants to wanted to copy my brother and let's get ready for this, let's do this, let's do that. You got to be original in life, and I told myself that in the first through two to three years, if I didn't develop my own original style and be recognized for being Bruce Buffer, that I was going to not do this job. I would have quit. I'm not. It's not the kind of individual I am. So I wasn't phrase driven, but eventually organically it happened because I figured, okay, the fans have been sitting here for five, me too, five hours or more. Here's the main event. The fighters have been training for eight weeks. They're in the main event. It's time. This is what it all comes down to. This is truly the moment we've been waiting for. And boom, that's how that all developed from that point forward. And do you
1: need to get a green light or was it just something that happened and you just ran with it?
0: Yeah, I ran with it. And then like everything I do in life, I like it to grow organically. And whether it's how I say it, to me, I always say, and I think I'm, the, I'm probably the announcer takes less time in the in the octagon or a ring than any announcer out there. I try to get in, and it's not what I say, it's how I say it. It's giving it the punch, giving it that sizzle, right? And that's what I do. I, I put my passion on the line, my lung my lung power, everything I can to enhance that moment for the great fighters, the great warriors, and for the great fans of the UFC. And I will continue to do that because my passion is what drives me. When the passion starts waning, then you're going to hear me say I'm going to retire. I'm not going to go in this and travel the world the way I do just for a paycheck. I'll be the first one to cash the paycheck on a Monday morning at the bank. Don't get me wrong. But I'm in this for a lot more than the money. I'm in this because I love it. I'm a fan first and announcer second.
1: You know, what's incredible about your story is I think a lot of people, their dream job would be what you're doing right now. Your dream job was what you're doing right now, except your dream job came about before the sport was anything. I mean, you you were at UFC 13. You just knew that the sport was going to be big, and you you put all of your faith into it. And that's why this was your dream job, because you knew that eventually this thing was gonna pick up and it was gonna be where it is right now. And of course, it's gonna be even bigger heights. We're still in the embryonic stages of this sport, which is, is still very difficult to believe yeah. as somebody who's been covering it for, for just a couple of years. But uh, do you still feel like this is your dream job? Do you feel like you're living your dream job? And are, are you still just as excited on a Saturday as you were back at UFC 13, or maybe even more excited?
0: Uh, probably more excited. You know, February 16th is my 25th anniversary, actually the first show that I announced The prelims at was UFC 8 in Bayamón, Puerto Rico, February 16th, 1996. And uh, this will be my 20th anniversary next week. So And then I announced UFC 10, but UFC 13 was the beginning of my tenure at every show. That's when I started doing every show after that. Um, Yeah, no, I'm a kid in a candy store. My passion is higher than ever. I love what I do. I've seen everything. I've seen every fighter. I've announced every fighter over the last 25 years, but the beauty of the UFC is... Next Saturday when I'm in the Octagon, I can see the greatest fight I've ever seen. I can see the new warriors up and coming that are making their mark. And it just feeds my passion and feeds my want to keep doing what I'm doing. There's sacrifices you make being on the road as, as road warriors like us are. You know, family, relationships, everything. We miss out on a lot of stuff. But that's why it's important to love what you do. I don't wake up to go to work. I wake up to live a lifestyle. I don't work. I live a lifestyle. And yes, it's a lot of work. I do. I work. I do the work of three men. When you get down to it, if not more with everything I'm involved in, I'm not putting anybody down by saying that I just love to work. And, and I approach and attack everything I do with passion. And I only do what I'm passionate about. And I'm lucky to be, I'm very lucky to be able to say that. And I realize that every day I wake up.
1: Now, I always say Saturday is my favorite day of the week, and, and if that's not the case, as I'm covering the sport, I shouldn't be doing it anymore. I just, I, I, I look forward to the very first fight on the card until the very last fight on the card. I just. Uh, I just absolutely love it, and I, I think it's been great to watch you do this over the years. And I've always wondered, you know, I get to watch the backhaul feed, which is basically no commercials. And I often see you share a moment with a fighter that, that's won uh, their fight right afterwards. You're one of the first people that talks to them. What do you usually say to them? I, I'm sure it's different in every case, but uh, when you're sharing that, that moment with them, and they're on top of the world, you know, they've, they've just poured their heart and soul into this for the last two, three months of their lives. What do you say to them usually?
0: It, it's, it's different every time, like you said. There's no set particular, you know, uh, thing to say in particular. Got to remember, I'm friends with and create relationships with a lot of these fighters, and some of them are new. And I'll see fighters come in, and even in defeat, I'll talk to them in defeat. It depends on the moment, you know. You certainly don't want to interrupt a fighter's victory moment as they're celebrating. But if the opening's there, you know, great fight, fought like a warrior, whatever the case might be. Uh, Proud or honored to announce you there's so many different things that could be said, but it's those moments Which I don't do that for the camera. I don't do that to talk It's a moment that I have for the fighters, which fulfills my passion for what I do Um, I have so much respect for the male and female warriors that enter this octagon It's the loneliest job in the world once that gate closes and I understand fighters mentality I've been around fighters for over 30 years. I fought myself not as a pro I understand. I understand what it takes but each person approaches it in their own way and I respect and I'm honored to share that octagon floor with them. So it's a moment that we have, but it's always different.
1: And finally, uh, when I travel to cover the sport, and hopefully I get to do that again soon someday uh, when this pandemic finally blows over, I have a secret weapon right. that, I, that I have to keep my voice uh, fresh and, and make sure that I don't lose my voice because I'm always doing interviews when I'm, when I'm backstage and, and whatnot. Do you have a secret weapon?
0: Well, basically, don't abuse your voice. You know, don't abuse your voice box. And um, my secret weapon is on the table. I have a jar of honey, and I have either Hall's, Methylitis, or Ricola. And quite frankly, it's as simple as that. Lots of water, stay hydrated, and take care of your voice and stay healthy. I'm 63 years old. I've been an athlete my whole life. And I this COVID thing that's going on here, this horrific pandemic we're in, I've taken advantage of this to get in the best mental and physical shape I possibly can. And I'm in the best shape I've been in in 20 years and just enjoying life, you know, as best as best I can in this COVID environment. And I'll take this moment to tell everybody out there again, please follow your safety and protocol, wear your mask, keep your distancing. This battle is not over, but together we can all beat it. And uh, it's very important. COVID has not been a six degrees of separation. It has now entered my family. It's entered my circle of friends. Um, it's, it's a horrible thing. You know, and hopefully we'll get out of this and vaccinations, everything go forward. My little COVID talk for the day because I'm very, very COVID conscious.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate that. And I, I do uh, echo your sentiments. We all do need to do our part. Uh, this is a team effort. And hopefully by the end of 2021, we, we are done with this. It's all it's all in the rearview mirror. Uh, well, now this interviews in the rearview mirror. I really appreciate your time, Bruce. Thank you for this. And hope to speak with you again soon, maybe when you make that big announcement in a month.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a big one, um, but get ready for the cologne, enjoy Puncher's Chance if you can get it, and you will be able to get it at some point, point. and um, like I said, follow me on Instagram, follow me on Twitter, I'll make all the announcements, and for those Canadian fans, I want to thank all of you for your cameo orders, and the orders you're sending in to BruceBuffer.com for your championship intros, your thank you notes bring tears to the eyes of my partner, Kristen, and myself at times, and it makes all the effort that we do for you worthwhile, so thank you very much, everybody, please stay safe, you too, you stay safe, and you do a great job, man. Keep it up. This is what keeps the sport going, is people like you. And I appreciate it very much.
1: Coming off a big win as a headliner on an LFA card, he is the BTC middleweight champion and looking to add another belt to that collection when he goes for the CFFC middleweight championship against Colin Huckbody that takes place on March the 12th. It's Aaron Jeffrey. Aaron, thanks for joining me.
5: Thank you for having me
1: so cffc uh, that's a big promotion obviously uh and whenever somebody's become a champion in cffc usually their next stop is the ufc is that the expectation where if you get a win here that that's the next stop
5: yeah i hope so man i mean people have been saying that for uh for a while now like you know uh on the instagram stories it has like on this day and i'm seeing on this day last year people are saying like one more win until ufc um and they've been saying that for three four fights in a row now so uh I don't know what they're looking for from me, but uh, yeah, I'm hoping so. You did compete on the Contender Series. You
1: uh, were dealt a tough hand, Brand- Brendan Allen, one of the top up-and-coming middleweights in his own right. Um, what was that experience like for you, going out there and, and competing on that show?
5: It was awesome, and the, the UFC is so professional. Um, like I fought for uh, a lot of small regional shows, um, like my amateur career and early pro career um so to to work your way up from that to uh to the ufc is um it's crazy it's like a, a kid's dream right like it's it's so professional everything is done so well it's scheduled um they're they treat you very well so uh yeah it was amazing
1: your opponent colin huckbody actually earned the contract on the contender series and then asked for his release he felt like he wasn't ready to compete in the uh the ufc as of yet and face the top middleweights in the world what do you make
6: of that
5: yeah i think um it's it's very humble on his part if he, if he felt that way um yeah i guess uh you you got to know where you're at in the sport right like it's uh like they say you don't play fighting right um there's uh there can be some serious consequences if uh if you're fighting guys that uh, you're not at the, their level so uh probably a, a smart move on his part if he feels that way
1: and knowing that he did make that decision
5: he's clearly a ufc
1: caliber fighter uh, does that give you a little bit more inspiration for this particular fight?
5: For sure, yeah. I think uh, I think that means there should be more eyes on this fight. I think UFC should be watching this fight closely. Um, yeah, like you said, he, he had been signed, so um, I, I'm sure they still have their, their eyes on him. Uh, both of us on Contender Series, so hopefully they have their eye on me as well. So uh, yeah, I think it's a big fight.
1: Right now, Ontario has a lockdown uh, that's ongoing. I, I believe they are uh, lessening or easing up some of the restrictions soon, but uh, how has that been for your training? Yeah, obviously this event is coming up in about a month's time. What have you been able to do in terms of your, your training uh, regimen?
5: Yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly not ideal. Um, we've, had, uh, we've had bylaw officers come to the gym. Um, we've had many phone calls to, uh, to my coach, who's the owner of the gym. Uh, a lot of people complaining. Um, we had the go ahead for for small group training, and then they tried to take that away from us. So uh, yeah, it's certainly not ideal. And my podcast co-host is uh, Joe Baffolini. He runs a gym
1: uh, mm. in Scarborough, mm-hmm. yeah, nearby, and he's had to deal with all of this. It's been really difficult for gym owners and people in the fitness community as well, just because uh, it's such a community feel when it comes to, um, you know, especially combat sports, you're, you're, there's a lot of physicality to it. A lot of, uh, touching, uh, when, when you're mm-hmm. doing training, you can't, you know, you can't physically distance when you're training for mixed martial arts. Uh, so I know yeah, that obviously that community has been hit pretty hard, including your own gym, Parabellum, uh, MMA, one of the gyms you train at has, I guess, shut down temporarily in the midst of all this.
5: Yeah, I think, uh, it's actually more than temporary for them. It's, it's, uh, I think it's going to be a permanent thing. Uh, yeah all the lockdowns kind of kind of crushed them um and the uh my other home gym Niagara top team here in uh, St Catharines um a brand new gym they've only been open for for 2 years and they were just kind of picking up some steam and getting some good memberships and whatnot um and now that's all crushed too so uh yeah everyone's struggling
1: what would you like to see the government do better? I, I mean, I, I understand that obviously this is a very difficult time for so many different small business owners. Uh, but like I mentioned, you can't do curbside pickup for, for mixed martial arts or martial arts memberships. This mm-hmm. is the kind of thing that can mm-hmm. cripple a business. But what, what would you recommend if you, as someone from this community, they don't have anybody from the martial arts community that's, that's helping with, with you know, all the bylaw enforcement and all of the rules here. What would you recommend?
5: That's a good question. Uh, you're making me feel like a politician right now asking <laughs> me, yeah. how can we do the lockdowns better? Um, honestly, I, I don't know, man. Um, like I, I think I'm kind of uh, I'm in my own certain bubble of of mixed martial artists and, and gym owners and, and those types of people. Uh, and it's probably a bit of an echo chamber. Everyone wants the same thing. We're all saying these lockdowns suck. We need to open back up. Like, why is this happening? It's ruining our businesses. Uh, but then you go look on Twitter and I'm looking at some tweets from today, Doug Ford saying he's going to start to ease the restrictions. And there's a, a ton of people saying, like, what are you doing? We need to stay locked down. This is a horrible move. This is way too soon. Um So I don't know, man. It seems uh the population's pretty split on it. So I don't really know what the right answer is.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a difficult call for, uh, you know, all the leaders in this country to make. Um, But you have been able to to figure out a way to train during this time. You mentioned you are bubbled with with certain fighters. I believe you live with uh, Jasmine Jasmine Mm -hmm. Jassidavishius, who's actually on the card with you uh, for CFFC. So have you been able to figure out a way to train in the home?
5: Um, Yeah, we uh, (laughs) we mess around in the living room every once in a while. Uh, But yeah, uh, Jasmine lives with me. And then uh, one of my head coaches, Chris Prickett, also. So uh, yeah, we're... uh, we're making do. And there's a lot of an outdoor exercise as well. Um not right now when the weather is like -18, <laughs> we did that a little bit more in the summer, um when uh when things were like originally shutting down, we were doing the the outdoor workouts. Um uh, but yeah, I don't uh I don't feel like wrestling around outside in the snow when it's uh -18 minus -20.
1: Yeah, I guess you probably don't need to uh, simulate any sort of slipping and sliding in, in, in the octagon. It's usually, <laughs> no, usually a pretty uh, dry not. surface. Uh, yeah. so tell me about Colin Huckbody. What do you know of him and, and his fighting style?
5: Yeah, like you mentioned earlier, he's a contender series guy. He won he won on the show, and he got the contract and turned it down. Um, so he's obviously a, a UFC-caliber guy. Um, strong strong grappling base. He's got a bunch of wins by submission. Uh, he looks like a, a decent wrestler as well. Um Maybe maybe a little bit uncomfortable on the feet. Um, but I, I think he tried to showcase a, a bit more of his striking in his last matchup. So uh, he's he's fairly well-rounded. He's uh, he's a tough guy for sure.
1: Now, from what I understand, you're a hot sauce enthusiast. And yesterday was the Super Bowl. Mm. I know you're in camp, mm-hmm. but did you, did you partake in any wings or anything along those lines?
5: No, I didn't. <laughs> um, I'm pretty strict at this point in camp. What are we, uh, under five weeks out now? So uh, I'm, I'm pretty... Uh, on point with everything right now.
1: And you run a nutrition company, I, I saw another video where you make a, a mush that you have, I guess it's called mush, that mm-hmm. you have slop. four times a slop. slop. So you have it four times a day? <laughs>
5: uh, yeah, I, uh, I have a lot of slop for sure. I, uh, I have a lot of slop, I have a lot of eggs. Um, certainly not the most uh, aesthetic diet, that's for sure.
1: How does one go about making slop? If somebody's watching this and want to uh, jump on the Jeffrey Nutrition train, How does uh, one make a a savory slop to enjoy?
5: Um, So slop is pretty much any meal you want. Uh, For me, it's usually like uh, some sunny side up eggs and veggies and toast. Um, So you assemble your meal as you normally would. And then you uh, you just kind of chop it all up and and mush it around and it becomes slop. So it's like a... It's it's homogenized. Every (laughs) bite is uh, consistent.
1: So it's like one of those uh, those Denny's uh, the things where they take everything and they just shove it inside. What's it called? Like a scrambler thing along those lines?
5: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm picking up uh, the gist of that. Uh, and I also understand you're a cereal enthusiast, so I, I want some power yeah. rankings here. Give me your top five cereals that you can get in North America.
5: Top top five cereals. So my number one is just the uh, the Frosted Mini Wheats. Um, I like the sugary ones, but uh, to me, the, the Frosted Mini Wheats is uh, it's more of a meal. It's like a It's a hearty, wholesome meal. It really uh, sticks to your ribs, you know. Um, I'm a Nesquik guy. I'm a Reese's Puffs guy. So I'll call those uh, Nesquik 2, Reese's Puffs 3. I like Honeycomb. I'll go with that as 4. And uh, I think a a very underrated one is uh, Golden Well,
1: On the spirit of supporting Canadian companies, uh, as we discussed earlier, that, that need our help during this pandemic, if you like the Reese's Puffs, I would recommend Puffins. Have you tried the Peanut Butter Puffins before?
5: I've seen them, I haven't tried them though. I would recommend them. They're Canadian. They're
1: nice. Yeah, they're the Canadian company. Yeah. And they're yeah, okay. they're quite they're quite good. I would recommend. If you, have you ever tried those uh the the corn I forget what they're called. The Quaker Oats makes them. They're like corn um squares. Uh
5: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. if, yep. if you
1: took that and mixed them in with peanut butter, like the Reese's puffs, like that. that that's what it tastes like. They're are like quite it. good.
5: I like it. Yeah. And yeah. I I will uh like I said I'm I'm pretty consistent with my diet, but I will snack on some cereal here and there throughout fight camp. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's something I might try out this week then.
1: So you and I, um, both attended Brock university. We're both named Aaron's. So we've, we've got some common ground here. Uh, do you have any, yeah. uh, any moments that stand out to you from going to Brock that you, uh, that you can share?
5: Um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, uh, probably none that are like family friendly that I'd want to say on TV in front of my mother or anything like that. I had a, a ton of buddies from high school that, uh, that all went to Brock with me um so there was uh definitely some rowdiness that's for sure one night in the drunk tank I'll say that much
1: <laughs> all right well, well maybe we won't delve into that side of things but that uh, did you did you go there on a wrestling scholarship were you uh were you recruited to Brock
5: no I didn't even wrestle uh while I was at Brock actually I uh I trained at a jujitsu gym um and we had a lot of uh amateur fighters that fought down in the states against uh, the American wrestlers um and we kind of uh we hated on the wrestlers, and none of us wanted to wrestle because uh, I don't know for whatever reason we we didn't like wrestling. It was lame because we were jujitsu guys. So uh, my my four years at Brock, I actually didn't wrestle with the team at all. And then um, after I graduated, I, I met the uh, the assistant coach, who's my coach now, Chris Prickett, uh, and he told me to start coming up, coming out to uh, practices, and that's when I started actually.
1: So you you did wrestling with the Brock team after you had graduated.
5: Yeah, yeah, I still do. <laughs>
1: That's pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. So, w- when you were at Brock, what what uh, what was your major?
5: Uh, medical sciences.
1: Okay, so so that kind of works with uh, with what you're doing now in terms of nutrition. I'm sure you you have a yeah uh, yeah, yeah a good knowledge of biology.
5: Yeah, exactly. And I uh, up until my contender series fight, I actually worked in like a, a diabetes and cardiology and weight loss clinic for uh, for like four and a half years. I think I was there.
1: So is weight cutting pretty second nature to you? You understand how things are being processed as you're doing it?
5: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I I don't fight uh, like too low below my walk around weight. Like a lot of guys are like thirty pounds over uh, through most of their training camps. So they're doing pretty big cuts. Uh, my my cut's not really big um and yeah the weight cuts uh kind of like down to a science for me at this point i don't usually end up going in the sauna or anything like that it's it's uh pretty seamless
1: so how much do you weigh usually on fight day
5: uh fight day i'm usually 200 202 fighting at middleweight so 185 and then by the next day i'm back up to yeah about 202
1: yeah that's that's probably about normal so uh well, anyways, thanks, Aaron. I appreciate this, and uh, I hope you do get that second title to add to the trophy case, and uh, and that gets you that ticket to the UFC you've been looking for. You certainly belong there, and uh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure speaking with you.
5: Thanks so much, man. Really appreciate you having me on.
1: After more than a year away from the cage, Elias Theodore will be stepping back into it in Victoria, British Columbia, taking on Matt Dwyer, former UFC fighter in his own right. But uh, there's something special about this particular fight, uh, and I'll let you talk about that because you're a lot more well versed on it than I am. But you, you're getting a TUE for cannabis
6: use? Uh, well, I'm getting, I already got my TUE from the previous year uh, renewed. So this will be the second time I've gotten what's called a therapeutic use exemption to allow me to use cannabis as prescribed by my doctor and afforded to me by my fundamental right as a Canadian and British Columbian, uh, what's called competitive uh, athlete. Uh, And it is approved by the British Columbia, uh, British Columbia Athletic Commission, which is the first time because, again, they're they're essentially a party of the government and they're the the sports uh, wing of the British Columbia government. This is the first time that cannabis has been considered a medicine in professional sports. And I'll set precedent not only for myself when I validate it uh, March 13th in Victoria, as mentioned, but also set precedent for other athletes as well in boxing and MMA. And
1: to clarify, that's in competition use, which uh, has been the, the big detriment uh, in previous
6: years. Yes. And, uh, you know, obviously there's. There, there are some leagues, uh, you know, even the UFC recently mentioned that they're going to be re- removing uh, cannabis under their protocols um, for uh, USADA. But the commissions are still very much uh, looking to, at cannabis as a schedule, uh, you know, either a schedule one drug or a prohibited substance. And that's why this one is the, the you know, the first of its kind where uh, athletic commission uh, run by the government, the British Columbia government, is recognizing cannabis as a medicine in professional sports and it you know beyond sports uh it actually is another underlining platform or underlining foundation of medical cannabis rights in canada
1: well here's my question i mean with usada no longer looking at uh, it as a banned substance in competition you mentioned the commissions are looking at it but could a commission like let's say the california state athletic commission they're relatively forward thinking in this regard if andy foster came out and said Any suspension that an athlete gets from another commission for cannabis use, we are going to disregard and they will be allowed to compete.
6: Is that a possibility? It's definitely a possibility. And I would have to, you know, again, defer to them in regards to what their stance is. But I think the bigger issue is uh, getting flagged in places that are more progressive, like you mentioned, California. But even if it is because they have technically a slap on the wrist um, where it's like a more of a small little fine rather than a suspension or, you know, Uh, removing of your your win if you win uh, to like a no contest or whatever the issue is that's still considered a flag and if you get caught with cannabis in another jurisdiction let's say Alabama which isn't uh, as uh, forgiving then uh, it'll definitely um, it'll definitely uh, come to bite you and it'll look as almost like a second strike so again it's not so much uh, the progressive places it's also the unprogressive places as well that are in the factor, but uh, a little key, little aspect in regards to uh, the UFC's um, the UFC's recent announcement. It's not actually completely correct. Uh, USADA still has the right to test you for cannabis, and they choose whether or not to uh, flag you. So there are certain little keywords, uh, for instance, uh, let's say if you say you used it for anxiety or any type of pain management, like I do, that's considered a flag and considered uh, you know banned in sports. So they can actually Uh, still uh, still suspend you, still take away your um, right to compete and and other uh, penalties. And that's something I learned um, with my uh, my lawyer, Er Eric McCracken, who um, has been guiding me through this whole process of a therapeutic use exemption in uh, the UFC when I was there and also British Columbia as well. Uh, And, you know, you mentioned California. Um, I think, uh, you know, this one in B.C. is the first step. And it actually because of the congruency that all. Uh, athletic commissions work with each other um i'm i'm in the process of uh eventually exercising my uh, therapeutic use exemption in other locations and jurisdictions and uh, that's what i plan on doing uh fighting in the cage and out uh, as a medical cannabis athlete
1: so once this goes through you compete against matt dwyer and uh, you have that TUE, and they they validate that in competition other commissions are going to have to
6: follow suit not necessarily have to but um, it becomes a, an actual less of a barrier, especially in the United States, because I'm no longer arguing the medical comp- components. I'm actually arguing that this commission said so, and um, they're more inclined to work on uh, the the kinds of um, the kinds of uh, precedents and the kinds of um, you know approvals, uh, both on the negative sense and the positive. So uh let's say uh because of the fact that cannabis is essentially considered a, a steroid, uh like you know, in that capacity, in that realm, um, if you get caught with something that is on uh you know a banned list and suspended, let's say in New York, California wouldn't uh wouldn't necessarily uh license you to compete there until your suspension's up. So um that negative actually flips to a positive with my therapeutic use exemption and I've already applied in different jurisdictions that Hopefully, I'll be able to announce soon. Uh, I'm I'm quite certain it'll be actually before my fight. Um, I will be able to announce another jurisdiction or two. Uh, And again, uh, very much uh, continuing that fight inside the cage and out for medical cannabis rights, Uh, not only for myself, but also the other athletes, this will create precedent for. And uh, I know that
1: Rise FC is already an established promotion, but you're having a role in promoting this um, particular event. Tell me about how it's taking place, where it's taking place, will there be fans, how people can watch it, et cetera.
6: Yeah, so unfortunately there won't be uh, fans uh, in the stands, uh, but hopefully there'll be many fans watching uh, on Imagine BC. Uh, it is, as you can see right next to moi, um, it is the company that I'm partnering. It's a streaming service, but also a revolutionary platform that um, is equitable both for the content creator like myself and the viewer uh, that will be watching uh, my original content and exclusive content that will be on that site. So we're essentially building up. I'm going to have a whole bunch of free stuff uh, to watch leading up to my fight, and then come March it flips to four dollars and twenty cents a month, and obviously, and um, for the first month you'll be getting my fight and all the all the month long content that is mentioned, and then moving forward, uh, obviously hoping to create more content and a lot of great giveaways uh, for the uh, the viewer throughout that uh, again that four dollars and twenty cents you'll be paying a month uh, whether through giveaways or other uh, fun things that um, I'll be giving and also the the app itself because I think the revolutionary component one it's built off of blockchain and two uh, you actually get paid uh, to watch advertising Uh, the the traditional platforms that we have like Instagram Twitter you are the revenue source for that company and imagine BC flips it where they actually give you um, credit for any type of advertisement that you opt in to watch. So really excited that the, the ethics and the equi- equal, uh, sorry, and the aspect of it, it's a equa- uh for the um, the viewer and the content creator like myself. So the event itself is going to be in uh, British Columbia, Victoria, British Columbia to be exact. And it'll be held at the, uh, the Songhees wellness center. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, arena. Uh, on, you know, it's like, the whole thing itself is like somewhere around the lawns of like fifty-five, sixty thousand square feet, and unfortunately, there won't be um, any fans. But uh, I'm looking to put on one hell of a performance that puts fans, not necessarily in the stands, but obviously on the on the computer and mobile to watch it.
1: How did Matt Dwyer come about as your opponent, and was anybody else in consideration?
6: Um, every top Canadian, um, a top Canadian uh, middleweight was in contention, but uh, they. Matt Dwyer was the only one that was, uh, for lack of a better word, um, uh, you know, without tooting my own horn, brave enough or confident enough to compete against me. And, um, you know, I, my hat's off to him. He's a, he's a great fighter. Uh, but I'm going to show him, you know, the difference between chess and checkers. And I'm looking to get my hand raised in dominated fashion. And uh, that's what I'm going to do March 13th.
1: Let's say it's uh, February 2022. Where do you hope to be?
6: um i hope to be where i want to be and that's obviously going to change i'm going to continue fighting uh for cannabis um in the cage and out and i look to validate this in another jurisdiction uh very much soon um i'm I'm working on some side projects and film and tv that uh, i've been able to you know keep busy in different directions um and uh looking to very much uh jump in a major promotion as well um i've had offers uh, i've had offers uh previous to this to, uh, to join uh, different organizations. Uh, it was very flattering, both their interest in me and, uh, you know, their offers. Uh, but in many ways, I- I'm very much committed to being a cannabis advocate. And that's what I'm going to do, uh, you know, when I make history as the first sanctioned cannabis athlete competing March 13th um, live on uh, Imagine BC. And, uh, you know, from there, taking a two win, uh, a two win fighting streak and uh, jumping on a major promotion. From there, we'll have to see. After obviously, after I get my hand raised, March thirteenth. Uh,
1: so this was a bigger priority for you than signing with a big promotion. So like, if PFL, Bellator, even the UFC came along and said, "Hey, we want you on board," this this was more important to you for the time being than that. And and that's then you'll after this, once you have competed with the TUE in competition, that's when you'll start shifting your priorities to to joining one of those
6: promotions. That's exactly it. Um, I'm a man of my word. And, uh, you know, someone that some might argue a little stubborn, but I think uh, determined uh, to finish what I started. And it's been a four or five year process for my therapeutic use exemption. And uh, in many ways, this is bigger than myself. Uh, You know, I look to greats like Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, who fought for something bigger than themselves. I'm no way putting my name in anywhere contention of his. What I'm uh, what I'm saying is that he's the one he's the type of person that inspired me to fight for something bigger than just, uh, you know, a fist fight. And that's what I, I plan to do for the rest of my career. But obviously, um, uh, obviously, uh, still have plenty of fight, uh, in the cage that I plan on doing. Uh, you know, I'm 32 now, but the way my body feels, uh, in general, I, I can very much now because I'm able to medicate as prescribed by my doctor. I think I have another five years left in me. So, you know, I, I took the year, um, to get, you know, not only this event together, uh, on the, on the, the the partnerships the sponsorships uh you know the the investments needed to run a show um but also the protocols um i and my team uh have you know tirelessly put together uh protocols to bring competition safely back to canada and uh, again beyond the aspect of um mixed martial arts and and the importance of my therapeutic use exemption also the importance of bringing back uh, competition in canada so I am I'm really uh, proud of my team and myself uh, for not only trailblazing in cannabis, but also trailblazing to bring MMA back to Canada. Yeah,
1: I was going to say, is this the first uh, Canadian regional promotion to actually hold an event since the pandemic uh, hit about in last March? I, I can't think of any off the top of my head.
6: Yes, um, basically, it's the first one. I think there was an amateur boxing uh, event uh, somewhere in Mon- Montreal at some point uh, that they kind of committed kind of in between those lockdowns and then... Uh, uh, they had it and they've kind of been locked down since. So uh, it's very much, um, you know, the first of its kind uh, post-COVID. And we're actually uh, looked at as somewhat of the the standard bearer for other jurisdictions that kind of are, are looking at our protocols and what we kind of put together uh, for their own, uh, you know, renewal of competition moving forward. So, again, uh, obviously fighting for medical cannabis rights, but also fighting to get mixed martial arts and boxing because most commissions uh, kind of are dual um you know dual role in regards to what they oversee so uh, very much helping to bring back uh, mma and boxing i couldn't be more excited
1: well this is great to see you uh, continue to be a pioneer in this space uh, not just with of course the the we and cannabis but also bringing mma back to canada so kudos to you for all of that and uh, we look forward to seeing it it, sh- it should be a great uh, great show so if people want to watch it on the uh, imagine bc did i get that right imagine bc yep imagine bc BC. Uh, if they want to watch is it just an app is it android and and, uh itunes app
6: yep there's an app for all the content uh the uh online aspect you can also go to um imaginebc.net to download the app uh and you can also watch it um on your uh watch it on your uh desktop uh you know computer etc etc so uh really excited um couldn't be more excited obviously to fight uh it's as you mentioned. It's been more than a year, um, but uh, you know, all good things kind of uh, happen for a reason. And I, I've very much been putting, you know, all the work that's been needed in the cage. Uh, you know, prior to that, becoming a, a greater fighter. And I can't, I can't tell you how excited I am both to compete, but also to show everyone what I've been working on.
1: Awesome. Well, we're all excited to have MMA back in Canada. I'm happy to see you back in the cage. So all good things, all positive. And uh, I always appreciate your time. Thanks, Elias.
6: Pleasure's mine. Thank you, Aaron.
1: A big thank you to all of our guests on this week's TSN MMA show. Kamaru Uzman, Gilbert Burns, Macy Barber, Kelvin Gastelum, Aaron Jeffrey, Bruce Buffer, Elias Theodorou. Fantastic stuff from all of them. Really appreciate it and really appreciate you. And I will ask one final time before this podcast comes to a conclusion, rate review the show. It means a lot to us. We will continue to get this out on a weekly basis. No ads, uh, at least for now. You know, if you would like to advertise on the show, please reach out to me and I can put you in touch with the right people. But uh, thank you for tuning in. Really appreciate that. And we'll be back next week with some more great interviews, a card between, a headline rather by Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis on the horizon. Thanks for tuning in to the TSN MMA Show. Interview
0: edition. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash